Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is Curious Anarchy. It's uh, it's not a podcast, it's a lifestyle. Um, we're recording here on Clubhouse. I'm just waiting for my co-host to come on in, and then we're going to cut it up. Um, the new Jewish New Year um, content. Hello, hello. How are we doing? Uh, Rosh Hashanah. Good boy. Well said. Do you know what it means? Happy New Year. Well, Rosh means head. Oh, okay. And Shana means year, so head of the year. It's obviously the same meaning. It's just the literal translation is head of the year. (coughs) So um, that's exactly what it means, and you said it perfectly. I've seen people... 30 years experience and couldn't say it like you did so well done I'm a, a man of the world as it were I like to think oh clearly <laughs> clearly um, very clearly anyway welcome to Curious Anarchy this is a, another episode of Curious Muse um, today we're talking about Rosh Hashanah uh, the Jewish New Year um, we're only going to be here for about I think we've got seven minutes left is that yeah, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, so we're working against the timer today. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to uh, bring us into awareness of what Jewish New Year is, that would be amazing. Sure. Let's, I uh, mean, yeah. just to begin with, um, as you know, the calendar we use in the UK is the Roman calendar. And it's generally, let's say, the more modern one, because most calendars... Ethiopian and Greek and everything, they all predate that because the world went on much longer than 2,000 years. So, for example, the Jewish calendar, it's uh, 5760 or something like that. The year is 5760. So it's a completely different uh, calendar and date, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. So I'm aware um, the Ethiopian calendar is something like eight years. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm trying to say. So, like... For modern purposes, the zero would be the birth of Christ. So all the religions and cultures that have dates that go way beyond that, like for example the Greek culture, as one example the Persian, they all go way beyond that. So, so for example, Judaism starts its date for five thousand years ago rather than two thousand years ago. Just to let you know, you're rattling. I'll try not to rattle. I'll try as <laughs> well as I can. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so. I mean, obviously, for people who believe in uh, evolution and the Big Bang, uh, the Earth is 30 million years old. But I'm just saying, in terms of the way the religions interpret these things, um, for Judaism, it's 5,000-something years old. Um, As I said to you earlier, Jews represent 0.01% of the world's population. So, in a lot of ways, keeping these traditions is a legacy to the very small community that's left in Judaism. Um, <clears throat> now, the the year starts in, like, this time, September, because it would have been more traditional into the Middle East-type uh, seasons. So you're looking at the start of the year being now and the end of the year being uh, like August, September. So it would have changed the year around. I wanted to ask, um, is there any connection to the Jewish New Year and the Equinox? Because we had that uh, on the 
21st, I think it was. Yeah, this, is what, this is what I'm trying to say in a roundabout yeah. way. Yeah, I yeah. think it would have been much more tied into the seasons and the and the planetary swings rather than like we, what we do. I mean, I think it's fairly arbitrary to have January as a, a winter month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the start of the, yeah, exactly, exactly that. So, so that would have been it would have been much more in line with um, the equinox and the the way the seasons work. I'll give you one example. For people to know that it was actually starting across the region, people would light fires like they did here in, in the United Kingdom in the Second World War. They lit fires to, if, if German planes were attacking, called beacons. And the same thing happened in the Middle East. They would light beacons to say that the New Year is starting. And so, for example, Rosh Hashanah is a two-day festival because in case those fires weren't seen by everyone in time, it gave them time to celebrate the New Year. Fascinating, right? Um, so, can you kind of maybe tell us uh, what you'd be getting up to typically um, at this time of the Jewish calendar, for like from a a kid to like what are the kind of things that you do? So, it's the idea is to celebrate the New Year with um, a sense of joy and sweetness, particularly sweetness. So, it would be traditional to wear white or bright clothing. It would be traditional to eat sweets and honey, particularly honey. Honey is a very big thing, and apples representing the start of a, hopefully a prosperous and healthy New Year. Um, now, the, the downside to that is the New Year also represents the 10 days that a Jewish person has to repent for all the sins they've done this year. So that on the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, which is about 10 days away, October. It's the last chance to be inscribed in the Book of Life. I see, I see. So, so it's although it's a joyous occasion, it's also a reflective time. Mm, mm. Yeah, so you can enjoy it, but you've also got to think ahead of like thinking, well, what have I done wrong this year? What could I have changed? What could I have done better? So how are those like conversations? How do they those conversations go? Like, are they? Are they it's an do you meet up in the? Is it this? No, it's an inter. It's an internal, it? it's an internal okay, conversation. Okay. Because you can't, you can't have a discussion. I'm sorry, the only external one would be like me saying to you, "Sorry, Jermaine, a couple of times I let you down this year," or something like that. So God. you, you have a choice to repent to God, and you have a choice to repent to your fellow mankind who you might have upset. So, say for example, you hurt someone this year, you could have a chance to say sorry there, but also you might have to say sorry that you desecrated one of the commandments or something. I don't know. So, so you have the choice to do both those things. That's an internal dialogue. Also, is there like scope for, um, you know, like building community as it were? So if it's not an apology, it might be, you know what, I've been thinking about maybe helping a friend with X, Y, Z or family member with Y, T, I mean, N, whatever. Like, is it that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, it is. And also a sense of social responsibility kind of it certainly is and, and in Judaism very similar to Islam there's actually a tenant within the religion that, that encourages um, they used to call it charity but I mean it's actually helping the community basically so for example in the Jew in the old east end of London there used to be soup kitchens for the Jewish poor or for anyone poor they could come to the Jewish buildings and have soup and, and something to eat at very 
these times of the year. So that would be one example of where it's are they are they still available? They still open? Well, the problem is that the community has left that part of London now, so most people have moved to the east or the north of London rather than living in that specific area in east of London. And what were the reasons behind that sort of, I guess, migration or that? So similar to all immigration, uh, it's to do with uh, finding your feet in the country and finding jobs that allow you to move out slightly further away. Because basically, historically, the East End of London was where people came as immigrants by boat. And West London uh, was the kind of area that people came traditionally by plane. Because obviously at the time that Heathrow was the main airport and at the time when the Jews, the Huguenots, um, people from Asia all came to London, they came by boat and it was down the Thames and they, they docked in, in London. Mm, in the Canary Wharfs and the Shadwells and... Well, they're all gentrified now, but yes, I mean, yeah, Whitechapel, yeah, yeah, Whitechapel particularly. I mean, Whitechapel was always the, the first stopping point for uh, those communities and particularly because they couldn't speak a lot of English and they'd work in sweatshops above the buildings the curtains drawn 20, 20 hours a day making clothes and I'm talking about all communities um, Asian Jewish everything they all had a similar pattern because mm -hmm. the people that lived here could speak English and didn't encourage them to integrate so that they could use them as effectively wage slaves <laughs> you know I mean, because they were new to the country that would have been the, the modern day slavery at the time yeah yeah and and you know like I mean a good example to the era now would be do you remember the Chinese a gentleman that died, um, was it cockle picking in... You're in... rattling, you're rattling. Sorry, did you, did you remember a, a few years ago some Chinese, some of the Chinese community died as they were, their job was to go into the sea and collect cockles and mussels. I think it was in Norwich or somewhere like that. I don't know if you remember this. It Interesting. Was a, it was quite a famous case. But again, it would be people that just got to the country and couldn't speak very much English. Uh, wait, when was this? About five years ago, ten, maybe ten. It happened years. five years ago. Up to about with the Chinese community, yeah. Wow. Okay. See, like, do you see all of these underground? Like, anyway, we're talking about Jewish. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm just making a parallel, if you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just Sorry. started up. A it was whole a deviation. <laughs> yeah, it was a deviation. I do apologise, but it was meant to show you that the, the point of the conversation was that people came here not being able to speak very much English. Mm. And so they were, they were, they were fodder for people that had jobs that other people perhaps might not want to do. Yeah. yeah. And and sometimes those jobs were dangerous. Gosh, as is often the case with uh, Eastern Europeans. Right. Exactly. As well. I mean, that's the parallel I'm trying to I'm trying mm. to infer. Yeah. Mm. Mm. You know, so when you know the language and you have a bit more money, you can move out to a nicer area and have more choice about what you might do. So, like, not uncommon in all these communities is that the second and third generation go to university, whereas the first generation didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of just to close, I guess, because I know we've got much I'll give time. You, I'll give you five more minutes if you can. Five okay. More minutes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything that you kind of really wanted to sort of mention about today, this ten days, this lead up to Yom Kippur? So you and I had a conversation earlier about um, the commonality across certain cultures and communities to use non-written forms of communication. So particularly in Judaism, there's the tradition of blowing the ram's horn um, at 
Rosh Hashanah at the New Year and at Yom Kippur. The last blow is at Yom Kippur as if the book is being closed. And that is a symbol to Jews across anywhere in the world that without even talking they would know what it represented and what it means for them. And like in all communities, it doesn't matter if people are laps, those traditions are ingrained in as a child into your, into your consciousness. So something like that would be recognized anywhere you went. And what was it called? It's called the chauffeur. And it's, uh, it's a horn and it's blown uh, in a number of different patterns uh, led by the rabbi and the, 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 the religious teacher. He would call, call it a command. And so then they, can you hear me? Yeah, 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 I can hear you. I was just going to ask. So there's a maybe a specific person whose role it is to use that or can yeah, it so, be is it a thing that you'd have at home and like everyone would have a good thing no no home? most people wouldn't have them because they wouldn't know how to use it okay, okay i bought one about 20 years ago to see if i could and i didn't have a clue how to i think you have to be fairly musical i guess um <laughs> not because it requires any music but it's like blowing say a trumpet you know the technique yeah there's a technique to it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so the person who does it is in a way stored away for these occasions so they would right. be someone respecting the community who's stored away and they would be called out for those moments i don't mean literally stored away i mean so they're know, like the family musician something like that but right, for the whole yeah. community rather than just for the family but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. and so what would happen is the rabbi would call a couple of commands a bit like um if you were doing any other kind of music they would like the the conductor of an orchestra they would shout the type of command and so each blow of the shofar is different because there's certain different calls yeah. you have to respond to. But what I like about it, and, we've, and you and I spoke about this earlier, is that it's, it's in commonality with a lot of other cultures where instruments and noise of music is informative for the community in a way that perhaps books haven't been. And um, <clears throat> just, you know, we mentioned the abeng from Jamaica um, in regards to the but also the the Vuvuzela, um, the Vuvuzela South Africa, it, and yeah. that was you know that was adopted by the whole world when yeah. the World Cup was happening. Which isn't um, again isn't uncommon that when you have an event somewhere, like say you had in Brazil an event, mm -hmm. so people suddenly discovering the birimbau, which is a sort of like a wooden stringed uh, instrument for capoeira, and again people would recognise it and it starts becoming the you know, like the background to adverts and, and to the yeah, BBC yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff, you know. <laughs> but I mean, no, but it's important to mention it because it's these are things that have been going on for lots and lots of time mm -hmm. and they get spotted every now and again and, and I guess gentrified again, you know, yeah. this idea of taking uh, something and using it as just simply a safe space value without any depth towards its understanding, right? which is fine, but it's just, uh, it's interesting, the patterns that you see. And uh, I was thinking of, um, in Zimbabwe, they play a thing called the Imbira, which is a thumb piano. It's just the most amazing tunes. Yes. But you'd have to know how to play it, and you'd have to recognise its importance in the culture. Um, there, there was a festival in, I think it's Dakar, Dakar in Senegal, or it might be Mali. I think it's in Mali, actually. There's a music festival that represents all the music in Africa, for example, and a lot of these instruments, traditional instruments, are played there. So it's like a Glastonbury for Mali, if you like, <laughs> in that oh, sort of way. Brilliant. Yeah. And is that, a, is that okay, specifically for Mali, or is that... No, no, it's... The it's, wider... It, it would be like... Um, 
the World Cup, it will be inviting all the uh, other African nations. I've got to, you. I mean, not all the whole nations. I mean, talking about the performers, sorry, the performers, specific performers from all different countries to come. And show the African it. Nations Cup must be an absolute vibe. Well, I've you. actually been to the African Nations Cup. I went oh. to a couple of games in. Was it Zimbabwe or Zambia? I think it was in Zimbabwe. And it was an amazing, absolutely amazing tournament. I mean, um, so much uh, life and vibrancy. I mean, there's no one sitting down quietly having a pie. Let's put it like that. You know, it's a very vibrant experience. Um, and I would recommend anyone to go to it. It's, it's, it's this really under, under-known tournament, if you like, and it's very worth a visit. I'm, I'm, I love how we've sashayed our way. <laughs> Sorry, but that was to do with the the, the, the music and the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the reference it had, but, the legacy, you know, the this, legacy. This is it. This is it. You know, it's, it's that that feeling of connection with with everyone, every everywhere. We, there's always some sort of instrument that signifies, yes, we're home. This is this is us. Right, and it's and it's a cultural thing because it. Sometimes they're played at specific events. Like I saw a thing on television where the Kurds, who, as you know, don't have their own homeland, um, in oh, where was it? Where were they now? I think it was in the north of Iraq. Iraq. They have a whole area where they have these religious ceremonies where they have they go like they write these torches, like thousands of torches and fireworks off in the hillsides, like in the mountains. It's amazing, and the music is just absolutely superb. Um, you wouldn't know about it because you know there's no crossover points. You know it's in the middle of nowhere, so it was a, it's just it happened to be a TV program followed them. You know. Um, the other thing I would I would draw reference to is is a food and drink that again are related. So for example, every most people know about the the idea that um, in Catholicism you'd have the the body and the and the blood of Jesus um, as a representation through food and drink. And again, this is this comes across in many different cultures that you have these things. You have these. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Leg- I want to call them legacies, really. Um, you know that they go they t- they go back thousands of years. It's not just something that someone thought up recently. This is thousands of years of tradition, like you were saying with Jamaica as well. Thousands of years of people carrying out certain uh, traditions. What I'm saying to you is that what I love about that is that it doesn't require academic knowledge. So there's space for people who don't feel highly educated to actually join in, and if not surpass the people that are. So I thought I thought that's worth referencing as well. Um, as a child, what was you know you asked earlier about a child. As a child, what was the most significant thing for me was um, and talking to my friends would be that having a new year at this time of the year. And I knew my new year was coming when conkers were on trees and acorns were growing. That was the sign for me that the Jewish new year was coming. Whereas with the English new year, it would have been Christmas and and and, um, and I guess much colder weather. Yeah. <laughs> would represent we're about to have the new year. And I, you see, with the, with the English culture, um, November bonfire night. From then on, you have these nights where even when you go out and it's lit, it can be quite um, like um, misty. Uh, you have smoke yeah, from um, 
Halloween. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you light fires, and the fires mix up with the with the dampness in the sky, and you get this kind of little misty effect. And that, to me, was always I knew I was coming towards the new year then. Whereas with this one, I, I would literally walk through a field, and as soon as I see a couple of conkers, I know that I'm around the corner from the Jewish New Year. <laughs> I mean, that may change with the climate <laughs> situation now, but uh, it was always an indication for me as a child. Awesome, awesome. It's been fascinating. Like, I'd, I'd love to maybe spend a little bit more time and kind of, you know, open this up a bit further, but um, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing this with us. Yes. And one thing I will say to you, Jimmy, um, as a sort of a parting, a parting thing, a lot of these things, religion gets a very bad PR these days, and, and you know, for the obvious reasons, because of the kind of like a rattling. Sorry, I was going to say. Thank you. Really? Can you hear me now? Gone. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, yeah. So, um, religion gets a bit of a bad PR these days because of its the sense of a blind faith of uh, you know people who are, who are intellectual or academic would say it's a bit of a blind faith, and that's fair enough. That's a fair criticism. But one of the things, that the beauties of it, is the community and the sense of um, reaching out to people. Because I think that gets misled, uh, that gets like mislaid some of the time because you get people focus on the fanaticism and not the. Yeah. Yeah, the way the general community behaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's for me, it's a case of recognising not to throw the baby out with the bathwater in a sense. But don't take away the good aspects just because a lot of it can be seen as quite negative. And it's, so, and I, I mean, for me, it's, it's a lot of it. There's just maybe like a couple of things, two or three things here or there. But this is, it's much the same and it's represented in everything experience in life there's always I, mean, I would say to people so one of the things i learned traveling was open every door so even if you, you get invited to i was invited for example to the traditional religion in brazil which is a very very for uh, someone from england a very strange environment because it's it's it, there's a lot of to do with um black magic and things like that involved in it which was fine but you have to keep an open mind and one of the things I say is once you get past the shock side of it, like the initial shock, or once you get past men, and funnily enough, this the Brazilian, I think it's Cordon Bleu or something like that it's called. They, okay. they are actually run. That's actually run. Yeah, so they're run by women. So actually, that, what I'm going to say next doesn't really apply to that. But in a lot of religions, most of the bigger heads are men, and they come out with very, very silly statements that really do show the religion in the, in the poorest light it could be. If you actually go and spend time with people, in the, like when I've spent time in Africa and Brazil, etc., with people from those communities, the most loving and kind people you could ever meet, and a million miles away from the statement that some of these people are making, a million miles away. So, you know, don't always judge it by the first interactions you have. Look beyond that. Look beyond that, because some of it is quite beautiful. I mean, it really is. And and like I said before, the thing I'd, I want to leave on is this is a um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is like a uh legacy for thousands of years that you know so like you could have got, gone back in history a thousand years and you'd recognize some of the practices and i think there's something quite nice about that there's something quite ri like a continuum about it it's it's that that ritualistic revisitation to yeah. the, the traditions and the customs that 
form the bonds that create the bonds that keep the people together that keep families friends and the, the wider community and in this case the jewish community together so celebrating this at this particular time of year especially which is kind of what might be considered out of sync um, yeah i mean i think that, you know we're... you've got the chinese new year um that happens in is it late january early february so february february yeah, yeah. Usually february so yeah it's, it's just an acknowledgement and then for every tradition belief faith that has that honors their their ancestral and their geographical heritage i think that's a really powerful thing i mm. think it's a really powerful thing to observe so thank you so and, much for sharing this no it's a real pleasure and, and like <laughs> i'd like to just wish everybody who who's listening to this on behalf of the Jewish community, a happy new and healthy and sweet new year. Rosh Hashanah. Thank you, Joanne. You've done it perfectly twice now. I might play you. I might play this to people in the Jewish community so they can practice. <laughs> and uh, if they want, if they want any lessons, just. Like... <laughs> it's quite funny though, but you've got it perfectly. It's really good. So thank you. I charge a pretty penny. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you all so much for your time. It's much appreciated. I'm hoping that this hasn't been too long for you. Um, it's been an enjoyable walk. Rosh Hashanah. Shana Tova. <laughs> good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night.